This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, episode 12. At six foot four and with a playing weight of over 300 pounds, today's guest, Jude St. John, is hard to miss. He's a giant of a man. He spent 14 years in the CFL and hoisted the Grey Cup with the Toronto Argonauts. I had the pleasure of meeting Jude at the hockey arena. Where else in Canada? Our boys were playing hockey together and we had some great chats and we really connected about life as a pro. And that's the conversation we want to share with you today on the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Harry and I go into Jude's career with him. He walks us through the highs and the lows and also the transition and the end of his career after such a long stint in the CFL and what life holds for him afterwards. He's an amazing guy. He's brutally honest in this interview and we love everything that he shares. He's on point and in depth. You're going to love this chat with Jude St. John. Typically in gym clothes, I find it such a treat to get dressed up and go out. Paul says I clean up well. We both love nice watches and I just found a company that's a perfect fit for both of us. Welly Merck watches are Swiss made, high fashion accessories that we love. And guess what? We have a discount for you. 15% off any men's or women's watches. Just go to wellymerk.com, that's W-E-L-L-Y-M-E-R-C-K.com, and use discount code W-K-A-R-I-15. So that's capital W, capital K-A-R-I, and 15. So go ahead, shop for yourself, shop for people for Christmas. Enjoy! Oh my big news! Big news, everyone. 2019 is going to be big. I'm going big. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> there is something coming your way. We're calling it the 1230 challenge. What am I even talking about? What is a 1230 challenge, Kari? Break it down here. 12 as in 12 months of the year. 30 as in 30 day challenges. So we are doing 12 30 day challenges for the year of 2019. Well, why, why would we do this to ourselves again? I forget. I, I typically don't do things very well. <laughs> it's because we want to stretch and grow ourselves in all kinds of areas of our lives to up-level and make a better life for ourselves. Uh, all right. So if we want to do it, obviously, maybe some people want to join in with us and come along for this adventure. How do people join our community? Well, we've got an amazing Facebook community called Empowered Top Performers. This is a private group, so you've got to look for us on Facebook and request entry, and then you can join us in there. Or if you want to be a part of this as well and you're not on Facebook, then email Paul. It's pd at empowerconditioning.com. That's actually my email, so if you want to reach out and send me crazy thoughts, you can do that as well. Now, okay. It's going to work like this, that people don't get to know everything that we're doing throughout the year. We're going to let them know what the first challenge is, but then announce the other challenges on the 20th of each month once we're rolling. So what's the first challenge going to be? The first one is no meat. So this is how the whole thing started is I thought, hey, you know, I really want to grow in the area of being able to cook recipes that are meatless and have some really tasty ones, lots of variety for the kids. And so let's try maybe a meat free 30 day challenge in January. And then, of course, it snowballed from there. Okay, but we're not going to just take away all the things we like to eat all year, are we? 
oh no, this isn't an elimination thing. So there's going to be things you got to add in. There'll be 30 day challenges that you won't believe, especially February, wink, wink. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, there you have it. Those are the basics. You know where to reach out to join the community. You know roughly what's coming for January and that it's happening all year long. We're excited. Hopefully you're excited. Get in there. We will see you soon. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. And we are thrilled to have Jude St. John with us. Jude, Curry and I had the chance to meet you where else in Canada at a hockey rink uh, <laughs> through our sons playing hockey together. So we've known each other for a few years now, obviously all living here in London. And we're just thrilled to have you on the show and hear about your experiences. Welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And uh, Paul, I, I knew the legend of you much earlier than I actually met you. Uh, so it was a pleasure for me to, to get to meet you and get to know you and, and the boys playing hockey. And like you said, it's a experience that uh, many Canadians will be able to relate to. So glad to be here, though. Well, thank you again. And um, if you could get us started, Jude, just kind of backtracking, go back in time and tell us how you got started. Because if people don't know you already, you, you had a a pretty um, extensive career in the CFL. And at the same time, though, I don't think that's what your first sport love was. So if you could back us up, um, what was there for you? How did you kind of get started? Well, you're, uh, you're correct. Uh, I grew up, as, uh, as many Canadian kids do, as a hockey player. And uh, had I been asked, um, really, to my last year of high school, uh, I would have told people, yeah, I play hockey. That's that's my thing. Uh, I did other sports uh, to, you know, keep me occupied until I could play hockey again. So uh, <laughs> that being said, um, I, I played football. I wasn't intending to play football in grade nine, but my uh, dad told me that I was playing football and uh, I'm glad I followed his, his advice. Uh, Banting Secondary School in London played, uh, actually played in grade nine and 10 and then didn't play in grade 11. I still hadn't uh, didn't really enjoy the, the game that much. If, if I can and, interrupt for a second, back yeah. in grade nine, a um, couple questions. What position were you playing then? And how, how big or small were you? Were you, you know, where were you at yeah. at that point back in grade nine? Just to give yeah. our listeners a, a visual here. Yeah, but so in grade nine, I was already, you know, big. I would have been the biggest, one of the bigger kids, you know, top two or three in, in our in our grade. So I was already built for it. But of course, you know, back then, um, we weren't near as big as kids are these days. So I remember when I graduated high school, I was about six, four and a half, maybe uh, 245. And I was one of the biggest kids in the school. Well, that wouldn't even be close anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, yeah. for my... For my in my day, I was big, and I played defensive line uh, in uh, in junior football in grade nine and ten, and uh, and then like I said, skipped uh, grade eleven and didn't play at all. 
and and then in 12 and 13 we used to do the five years uh, I was still playing uh, defensive end uh, on the defensive line refused to play uh, offensive line and it uh, wasn't uh, wasn't glory enough, glorious enough for me I don't think and um, <laughs> you know was even still at that time though like considered myself primarily a hockey player and uh, it wasn't until after the football season of my fifth year when I got recruited by Western where it sort of occurred to me that I should maybe uh, pursue a different uh, different track. And so that's what I ended up doing, going to Western. And I lasted as a D lineman for three days at Western, three oh. days into training camp. Uh, they switched me over to offensive line. And, uh, you know, so I did that for four years at Western and then 14 professionally. So I was an offensive lineman uh, by far for most of my career. And once I became an O-lineman, I sort of took it, uh, took it to heart that I needed to be bigger and stronger. And so through my course at Western, um, you know, went from about maybe 245 to 270 uh, lifting weights, but also just to be honest, like, at O-line, you, you get as heavy as you can. And if it's good weight, that's great. And If it's bad weight, of, that's okay, too. You, you, you work with it. So. <laughs> we, we, and uh, uh, all the way up to my playing uh, in the CFL, uh, I was uh, six four and a half, three fifteen to 325 most of my career. So got to be a fairly big guy, but was drafted by Hamilton Tiger Cats, played uh, there for three years, and then played 11 years for... Uh, the Toronto Argonauts and just uh, maybe for listeners that would be tuning in who wouldn't know much about football uh, I'm one of the big guys who hits the other big guys um, yeah. I don't get to throw the ball I don't can, get can you break that down for me can you simplify that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't get to touch the ball if I touch the ball something bad has happened <laughs> I just made my living uh, assaulting other people pretty much <laughs> I want. I want to know what you're eating. Uh, I mean, Kari, strength coach, specializes in you know coaching people on their training and what they're eating sure. and things like that. What What were you eating to put the weight on? And is it anything and everything, or did you? What were your go-to meals? Or do you know how many calories you're consuming a day at your peak, or anything like that? Yeah, you know, we one of the things with football in particular at that time, and I think it was worse than even other sports. Uh, you know, I think it was far less developed back then than it is now. But uh, in particular, in my position, we really did want to be as big as we possibly could and still be able to move, you know. So you would uh, – I, I wouldn't pay attention to what I ate at all, really. And mm-hmm. it was it was pretty much a free-for-all, uh, which didn't bode well when I was finished playing uh, <laughs> in terms of, you know, that habit of just eating whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. Uh, but that's pretty much what – you know, used to be able to do with very little, um, very little intentionality or purpose uh, in eating uh, other than not being hungry and having enough energy to do, you know, what I wanted to do. So I would say, you know, even uh, throughout most of my professional career, that was uh, something that, that I didn't look at, I didn't take seriously. And uh, yeah, I think was all around something that was overlooked or neglected. There's uh, in um, Manitoba, I used to work with the University of Manitoba football team a long time ago. And, you know, we always called the O-line the Hoggies and and they ate accordingly and whatnot. But there were a couple guys I knew once they were finished playing, they intentionally 
lost a, a fair bit of weight and uh you know it was really interesting to see these guys as they would be um at their probably normal size or weight for for their body type but they had spent so many years just trying to be as big as they could because they were right. online and it was just what they had to do at the time and it was like you know they used to any any buffet or any all you can eat didn't matter whether it's sushi <laughs> or whatever like the guys would be doing that and yep. uh it was a sport in and of itself yeah and that's pretty accurate you know like you said uh we would definitely be interested in a place where we could go and eat as much as we wanted. And so uh, it, all you can eat sushi was one of our favorites. And, uh, <laughs> we'd hit that pretty hard, but you know, I had the same experience. I, uh, I have had uh, a couple times lost significant weight uh, since being done. Um, I've, I've gained a lot of that back. I've never re uh, returned to my original weight, uh, which has been a good thing, but uh, I lost uh, at one time I was, you know, close to probably 90 pounds less than what I played at. Wow. And, um, you know, I still wasn't, you know, super lean at that way. I thought, wow, that's, that was eye opening to sort of see what yeah. normal would be like. And what feels best for you? Do you think for your healthiest or just feeling your best energy throughout your day? Like what, what do you think is the best for you? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, when I got down, uh, really light. I, I didn't like being at that weight, uh, even psychologically. Um, mm -hmm. my kids didn't like it either. <laughs> um, they did not like seeing me sort of be this skinny guy. So I think, you know, I think I could do pretty well at, you know, 270, which yeah. sounds really heavy to some people, but to me, you know, I feel light as anything at 270. Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, a, a lot of it would depend on, on how my body holds up. And I have noticed in the last couple of years, it's uh, starting to feel the effects more. Um, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind being big. I'll tell you when I, one thing I noticed when I got to the real uh, light end of when I lost that weight is um, people had a lot less respect for my personal space. You know, interesting. When, when you're 315 pounds, people give you a wide berth. Yes. And then I kept thinking to myself, why, why are people standing so close to me? And <laughs> I, re I realized that. So that was one thing uh, I definitely uh, didn't like about being smaller. Yeah, I have the opposite problem where like my athletes feel like it's okay to pick me up. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's what comes with being tiny. <laughs> so. Yep. <laughs> oh my goodness okay so it's interesting hearing what you're saying there though as well because it plays into what we often talk about with the people we interview which is your identity sure. and e even just with the weight you're you're touching on what your what your identity is tied to it's tied to size it's tied to yeah you know, what, where you're, how your kids see you and what you're accustomed to in, from a, even a spatial awareness. So it's, it's yeah. really interesting that way. I so, would say, you know, when I was bigger, uh, when I was playing football, if I walked into a room, um, people would notice and I knew that they noticed, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then interesting. When you get, yeah, you get smaller and you walk in a room and nobody really cares. And yeah. yeah. So it definitely, it, it impacts a bunch of different things like that for sure.
and it's, yeah. magna it's magnified in public if you're with one teammate or two and you've got yes there's yeah we went out as unbelievable an old we, caused yeah. A, yeah. we caused a stir for sure yeah yeah restaurant yeah. owners must have just <laughs> cringed if you guys yeah, walked a couple of like these literally long... just yeah. close the doors lock it down please don't yeah, let them in <laughs> we had a couple uh sushi chefs who weren't very impressed with us so yeah and uh, there was a i played with a couple of polynesian guys in toronto uh, two guys who did get kicked out of an all-you-can-eat sushi place. They just said, we're not serving you anymore. So that was interesting. <laughs> it's like low points in eating. Like what That's you right. call that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if you think back on your career, like what a, what a fortunate thing to have in a career to be with one team for so long. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's typically unheard of. But um, if you look back on your career, what are some of – you know, your most proud moments, some of those highlights that, you know, you just are an incredible thing to look back on in your life. Yeah. You know, there'd be a couple things, obviously our, our great cup uh, win in 2004, winning that championship is, you know, for athletes is such a big thing. And, you know, to sort of get that asterisk beside your name erased because you'd won a championship uh, was a great feeling. So that, you know, that was a big, one for me I think uh, you know in terms of just you know personal things I had a, a very serious uh, injury a compound fracture um, of my tibia uh, in 98 and, and coming back from that uh, and uh, and playing really uh, 11 more years after that uh, I was impressed with but you know in terms of overall um, I, I am proud of the fact that I played for so long uh, the average football career is is three years and, and something and I played for 14 and, and in a lot of ways it is a brutal physical sport. And, uh, and so to, to last that long is something that was important to me. I wanted to be that type of a guy who could, you know, persevere and, and last, uh, in terms of overall, uh, you know, I, I think I would say the, the friendships that I made with teammates, uh, would be the most you know valuable thing uh, that I walked away from that sport with, um, Footballs have big teams. Uh, there is a, a large variety of personalities and mm -hmm. uh, got an opportunity to meet all sorts of uh, great guys and share that with them. So, you know, I always look to part of playing as long as I did uh, was I always wanted my kids to remember me playing. So mm -hmm. I had to play long enough and, and we've got five of them. I had to play long enough to so that they would all have memories of it. So. Um, yeah like that, it, that was part of it I've um I've thought of that many a time for our youngest for Paul because she never experienced him play sure but but I was about to circle back and ask you you know like I I it is unique to be able to keep forging those relationships but before that when you'd mentioned about being proud that you played so long what I was going to ask was do you think it was your values? Do you think it, you know, it was in the fiber of who you are? Like what, what had you keep going and endure that? Because it's not an easy thing to do. And, and you kind of gave the answer um, in that part of it was, was the kids, yeah. you know, wanting to have them um, understand what it took to do what you did maybe, or yeah. um, wanting them to, experience not have just some of them experience it but have all of them experience you know what it was like to 
play on that level of competition or you know all of the things so yeah even and even receives you know sort of some of the benefits of being you know the child of a cfl player i remember uh we we went to a movie premiere in toronto opening night and it was it was a pretty small movie like it was a kid's movie or whatever but you know they did it upright and they had the red carpet or whatever and i remember i took my kids there and you know they were just awestruck and you know for them to be able to do that i also um, I also performed with um, Ballet Canada, um, which is an what? interesting story. Yeah, who would have <laughs> known? Well, the uh, in Toronto when they do the Nutcracker, um, well, one night they have celebrities come and be part of the production, and so this year they wanted two Argos, and so they took one D lineman and one offensive lineman. So you can imagine <laughs> the two of us on a wow. stage with a bunch of ballerinas yeah and, prima ballerinas and, yeah but i remember you know taking my kids backstage and their their eyes were as wide as saucers and them just being awestruck and i thought they got to you know uh experience that because of what i was doing so things like that you know went a long way i also think you know the players who play that particular game uh for such a long time uh, which would include myself, have, you know, in them, you know, a singleness of purpose uh, in terms of wanting to do that and wanting to forsake a lot of other things in order to do that. And so, you know, those types of players really have a, it seems, an internal switch uh, that doesn't have an off button. And so, you know, they can they can put all their eggs in that basket and do what it takes to stay there. And so I think that was that was part of what got me there it's an interesting thing that you point to because um to really be good at what you do I mean first off in your position in sport those are that position is one of the positions that bring the averages down because it's so hard to maintain and you're in that position but you brought the average up right And, and at the same time that singleness of purpose um, there are so many people think of being a high performance athlete and, you know, all of the things that it is, but don't truly embrace the actual sacrifice, yes. sacri- multiple sacrifices that need to be made in order to a have the longevity or b really get to that top level and be able to sustain a top level. There's so much that goes into it and there's very, very few people who are able to do that consistently, yet those are typically the ones who overcome the surgeries and yeah. and forge through the toughest times and co- overcome the greatest um, illnesses and setbacks and you name it, and then keep going and come back. Whereas the other ones, um, the people who don't end up having that longevity end up there's something that always ends the career. There's always right. going to be something. There's going to be a reason, an injury, a thing, or whatever. But the ones who last longer end up going beyond that and yeah. and then also sacrificing the things that many people won't sacrifice, and that might be the the partying the yeah. um the you know whatever it is that is a distraction from where they really want to go in their sport yeah so there's like, a, there's a big price to pay, and uh you know I think there are guys who are willing to pay that price but who lack you know, perhaps the physical attributes, 
uh, to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I look in terms of, you know, certainly those who, you know, guys who can do these different things for such a long period of time uh, have, you know, been given a gift that, you know, a lot of people would have loved to have. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, aside from that, uh, there's a bunch of people who may have those types of physical attributes uh, who aren't willing, you know, to pay the price, you know, and sometimes you don't even know the price you're paying. You had brought up about retirement and and, and the difficulty with that. You know, I, I played for a long time and it was great. And when I was done, all my uh, peers uh, had management position positions and were making good money in their fields. And I went into teaching and got, you know, 75% less than what I was getting when I played. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're even paying a price on, on things that you don't realize till you're done. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it does. It took a, it takes a certain type and I'd do it all again if I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing points that you're both making and it really resonates with me. Uh, what you said, Jude, about one of the first, first things you're most proud of, you, you mentioned the longevity. And I really get that because it was the same for me. I was extremely proud of the length of my career because, mm-hmm. as you know, we're keenly aware of what it takes to do that, right. and how rare it is. And, you know, the worst thing for an athlete is to simply be deemed not good enough. Maybe you hit that level for two or three years and you've got a short time on the stage and it's over so to be able to be on that stage year after year competitive competing winning championships doing things like that it's really a badge of honor and to your point Kari, yeah, people don't know the crazy amount of work and discipline that needs to go into it to have that longevity and the sure. sacrifices of yeah just not having fun that other people are having because you got to train or be disciplined right. or whatever it is and uh and well, you'd often... the problem, the problem, sorry, I just want to say that the problem I ran into is to do that, it's so all encompassing, so single mindedly focused that I had no other life. I was a volleyball player. And so when right. it ended, when it ended, I was completely lost and just, you know, basically the shell of my former self, uh, a zombie walking around. And, and I want to know your, more about your transition and your when you had to call it a day and what was that like for you and yeah, making that switch? You've, you've spoken to a lot of it. You know, I, I, I spent uh, 14 years uh, professionally uh, telling myself that I, my identity was not found in football. And then when it was taken away from me, realizing I had, I had built a lot of my identity of being a football player. And so um, I, I boiled down the diff, you know, the main initial difficulty of uh, being done. I didn't retire. Um, the Argos asked me to retire, and I said no, <laughs> and so they cut me. So I'm technically a free agent, in case any uh, GMs are listening. <laughs> right now. Uh, that's right. Um, right you know what, what it boiled down to, uh, and they were nice about it, and they were classy about it. But what it boiled down to is someone telling you you're not good enough anymore. And that was brutal. Uh, that was, uh, it just, it drove me crazy that I, everyone hears those words eventually, but I didn't, you know, I didn't care for them. So, you know, I, I, I'm happily married. Uh, I had wonderful, healthy kids. Uh, I have a very strong faith and a very, um, 
a faith community that I was a part of when I was playing that we maintained my whole career, you know, had a job to, to fall back on when I was done. Uh, in all sort of those, you know, respects, I thought, you know, I, I've got my life together. But when, you know, football was taken away, it was way, way, way more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And so I would, you know, when I hear stories of, of you know, professional athletes who are done playing and then, you know, end up committing suicide or, you know, be, becoming addicted to drugs or whatever, uh, I understand where they're coming from because that mm-hmm. was a much, much harder uh, process than I thought it was going to be. And um, yeah, there were, there were some, there were some dark days uh, for sure. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but uh, I would definitely attest to what you're saying, Paul, that it was uh, way tougher than I was anticipating. What's, what's the most interesting to me about that is that you, you were proactive. You, um, you had things and you had community in place. You had your faith. You had your family. Mm-hmm. You also had a fallback career. You had another thing. You know, you'd been, I think, teach substitute yeah. teaching in between. Yeah. So, you know, you were good to go when it comes to what you're stepping into next. So there's all these things in place. And, and you, because you know that there's going to be a transition, you know it's going to be tough. And yet it still blindsides you in some yeah. way or another, you yeah. know, like that's almost the biggest smack in the face. It's like, okay, I was, I've done everything right. I'm totally prepared. And yet, no, you're not. Right. Um, and, and that's one of those things that is, um, you realize it's like, it's like trying to tell somebody what it's like to have a child for the first time. You, you can never prepare <laughs> <That's>, somebody <yeah>. until <laughs> it yeah. actually happens. Right. Sure. Nobody fully, fully understands. Um, what you, you mentioned those really, you know, you had some dark days, you had some dark times. What was that like for you? And, and what did you do to overcome that? Uh, you know, like I said, it just, the, 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 the sort of darkness I was talking was just sort of a negative posture on things. Uh, you know, there were, there were some very simple things, uh, I think that were, um, you know, like there was a rhythm to my life, really, for, for 20 years, you know, uh, off seasons and in season and um, uh, uh, even a weekly um, schedule that I was used to playing a game, getting a day off and practicing. And then all of a sudden, something you've been doing for, for 20 years, you know, is taken away from you, that rhythm. I remember uh, Nicole, uh, probably a couple of years in uh, being done football, um, finally clued in why I would always get so agitated in May. I, I was going to say fr- time of year, season, it's spring it training was, camp. That's right. Training camp was coming up. So there's, yeah. there's things like that. You know, there's other things too. I remember sitting in um, meetings with other teachers and, um, you know, someone else saying something that I thought was pretty uh, ignorant and disrespectful uh, and to be honest, stupid Mm-hmm. And thinking, you know, if I was playing football, we'd go out on the field in about an hour and <laughs> I would make you pay for that comment. <laughs> and uh, yes. that's, that's not going to happen now, right? So that gets built up. 
don't know or how even, that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> yeah, or even sitting in in meetings and thinking of all the pranks or jokes I'd like to tell, <laughs> which I could yeah. get you know disciplined for. Uh, so I'm, I'm, th- there was those sorts of things that you know just started to build up and build up, and there was some negative character things as well. You know, there's there's a there's a type of pride where you. Uh, elevate your own self-importance far beyond what's appropriate and think of yourself too highly, uh, which I think is very uh, detrimental, uh, particularly when you're not getting the attention that you used to get Mm -hmm. and that, uh, you know, you're not getting the phone calls to speak at things and and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, there was some innocuous things that, you know, were just part of a life change, but there was also some character issues too, which I, you know, think played a big part. I know, you know, two things I'll mention in terms of getting through that. Um, you know, the first is my faith and, you know, the, the time when I was done football, that was a, a real time for introspection in terms of, of what I believed and what I believed about God and, and how he cared for me and those sorts of questions that uh, I had to, to answer. And uh, I think I knew them intellectually and I had studied them and I could have given the right answers, but uh, they weren't experiential knowledge. They were they were head knowledge, and I had to learn what it meant to to really have faith in terms of walking through something. Uh, the other thing would be my family. Uh, you know, my wife was very supportive uh, in spite of times when I was being a jerk. Uh, she supported me and encouraged me. And uh, the kids played a very big part in that too. Uh, you know, one uh, particular they were all wonderful, but my oldest daughter. Um, for her grade eight speech, uh, wrote a speech, you know, basically on uh, how great her dad was. And uh, I was sitting at the kitchen table and she came and and read it to me. And uh, I just broke down when she was reading it. And I mean, I was sobbing at the table. And, uh, but, you know, that was a real moment for me. And, you know, and this, your, your eight year, you realize your, your eight year old daughter is, you know, making a decision on her speech based on trying to help her dad navigate what he's going through. And that, uh, that mm-hmm. was just, not only was it a, a precious thing that she did for me there, but it was also a uh, splash of water in the face to say, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta pull out of this and get on with things. So, you know, my, my faith and my family uh, were, were a big part of, um, you know, sort of working through that. And, and I'll be honest, there, there's still days today when I get frustrated about things uh, in regards to that. Uh, I don't love watching football because it, it, it bothers me that I'm not playing. I watch mm-hmm. them playing and I, I want to do that. And so I don't watch much football, uh, you know, so it, it had a big impact. And, you know, uh, I think obviously I'm, I'm through the, the most difficult part of that, but it's, it's even ongoing now and it's 10 years later. So uh, it's a big deal. It's, I, I love hearing um, just how raw and how much you're, you're sharing. There's, there's a couple of things that I think are so valuable for people to understand and that, that, your realizations there number one with your faith you're you're putting your as you would say faith in something that's larger than yourself that you can't necessarily you just simply have to trust doesn't matter because you don't know anything about 
any of it. So all you have to do is simply trust that this is the direction that is, is right for you. And at the same time, your, your daughter is that is shining the light on the fact that how, who you are and how you're being still has a ripple effect on everybody else around you. Everybody is still impacted. And sometimes, sometimes that needs to be, we as ourselves, we need to become aware of that so that we understand that, Hey, I know I might be hurting right now, but guess what? You know, I still am having impact on other people, even though I might think that I don't, that I'm not. And, and that sometimes is that little wee catalyst to wake somebody up to go, okay, I, I need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I need to keep doing these things because there are other people who, who care about me or depend on me right. or are impacted by yep. what I do. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, the other thing I was thinking of when it comes to Paul, like when you're talking about watching football, I kept thinking as that, you know, sometimes supportive partner, um, I kept thinking that, okay, well, you know, he's commentating for world league for volleyball and that seems to light him up. Mm-hmm. But then there wasn't that lasting fulfillment from it. It wasn't even commentating for him for the Olympics. I kept seeing, you know, him being lit up, but then almost, you know, fall back down or, or, you know, just not have that lasting fulfillment from it. And, you know, Paul, you can speak to this, but it's just, it's almost painful to not be able to still be part of it. Yeah, it's it's a, it, it painful's the word. It's uh, it. I, I spoke with Chris Burley offline. Uh, who we've had the chance to interview for the podcast, and he said to me like this that, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're done your career now. You've got all these exciting opportunities in front of you and things that you can do. But he says, how can you expect me to go from being on the floor of the Olympics performing in the thing I've loved and trained my whole life for that high to ever find that high again? Right. That in his mind, it's just not possible that Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the the glory days and that, that sort of uh, lens to look back on your career as, and it, it is something that really can't be matched. It's so unique and so special and, and, having your identity tied to it. I've lost my train of thought. So many things are popping to my head as you as <laughs> both were speaking there, but I, I know, you know, Carrie mentioned me looking at volleyball and uh, it is really painful. It's it. I want to be there. I know how good it feels. I, I know what goes into it. I, I miss the camaraderie that you mentioned with the teammates. That's sure. one of the things I miss the most, the day-to-day yep. joking and pranks and <laughs> just yep. feeling alive and, you know, always on your toes because somebody might be trying to get you in a good way. And I was the subject uh, of some of those pranks, by the way. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> you can just... <laughs> but uh, no, but it, it's, you know what you're missing and you know how great it is and it's really tough. And... Uh, I know for me, when it was all over, I, you mentioned, uh, you know, having maybe a bit too big of an ego when you're done playing and, and thinking of yourself a certain way. And part of that is a necessity to succeed while you're in it. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you have to have supreme confidence. You have to believe yeah. that you're better than the other guys to beat them. And, and sprinters are the perfect example of, you know, 
egotistical, I am a wrecking machine, I'm faster than everyone else in the world. You have to think that to win the 100 meters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what comes with that though, is that when you're done, you know, I, I'm, I'm Paul Durden, I'm a great volleyball player. I don't need help. I can't ask for help. <laughs> yes. Literally, yep. <laughs> I can't, I can't. I literally can't because if I do, yep. then I'm not really who I was. Right. If that makes sense. And that whole stigma around asking for help or, or saying, you know, this is tough for me. I don't know yep. what to do with my life. Uh, yeah. That well, was and a too, huge you know, struggle for me. You know? Yeah. What goes along with that is just uh, the success that uh, we were fortunate enough to experience. You know, part of that is not uh, just being confident, but also not admitting weakness. Right. Oh, yeah. um, uh, you, and we grew up in an era where oftentimes you'd hide injuries from coaches and, you know, you just did not want anyone to have any reason to doubt your ability to get something done. So, you know, not only was the confidence uh, perhaps in, in your ability to do something deteriorating because you actually can't do it uh, as well as you used to, uh, but you're also trying to try to hide the weakness that's there. And uh, yeah, both those things lean to, uh, lead towards not, you know, not looking for help or not asking for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge point. You don't want to show weakness because there's someone else who can step up and take your spot. And mm-hmm. they will. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the other thing, too, that I was I was thinking of when it comes to those identities and, and needing uh, to be who you were being in that identity, but it's fueled so heavily by that celebrity status that our culture feeds um, mm-hmm. for athletes, like the fanfare, the the athletes who keep rising in the ranks of their sports and getting to a, a pro or a national level, they are looked upon as a celebrity. Right. And, and so, you know, that's then when you're done, it's like you, you're still walking around wondering why you're not so special anymore. <laughs> I, I remember, uh, Paul, I actually remember standing beside you uh, during uh, one of the, the boys' games. Uh, we're watching our boys play hockey. And, you know, you obviously had uh, huge success on a, on a world stage. Uh, I had my own uh, success here in, in Canada primarily. But I remember standing there and thinking, you know, as people sort of were lined up beside us, these people have no clue who we are, mm-hmm. you know, and we hadn't yeah. been out of the game that long, you know, and just thinking like, it's gone like this, mm-hmm. you know, we're nobodies. And yeah. I realized mm-hmm. we're not, but it has that sort of dramatic feeling to it that uh, it's, it's gone just like that. So, yeah, it's a very real thing to, to deal with. I was at, uh, my daughter is, well, she's same age as your, one of your daughters. Um, she's playing soccer mm-hmm. in, in university. And I met one of the volleyball players for the school there. And it dawned on me when, you know, I mentioned Paul, but what happens typically in volleyball, because it's a little bit of a smaller community, because Paul's been referred to as like the Wayne Gretzky of volleyball, right? right. In Canada. And and I ended up mentioning Paul and this volleyball player, this was the first time I'd experienced this, didn't know who he was. Oh, and I was like, oh Not my God, it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> like, this is, this is like the moment that people become 
you know, the worst word to an athlete, which is the has been, right? Right. The, yeah. And and it's but that's the it's it's almost like this is what has to happen for the lesson to be learned for yeah. many retired athletes to go, okay, guess what? I hate to break it to you, but th- <laughs> so much more about life than what it used to mean to you, you know, sure. and it, no, no, even though it was so important and so big and you impacted so many people and influenced so many people in their lives, there's still so much more yes. to life, you yeah. know? Absolutely. So yeah, it's those tough lessons. Um, well, I think it's a great segue, I think, to ask you, Jude, you, you were, we spoke about you being a teacher, but now you find yourself as lead pastor mm-hmm. at, at your church. Why don't you tell us about bigger things and helping more people and, and what that means to you and how that came about? Well, I think, yeah, to what was just spoken, you know, what I'm doing now gives me uh, almost, I'd almost want to say daily, certainly weekly reminder that there are, you know, things a lot, uh, a lot bigger and, and let's be honest, a lot more important than, uh, you know, playing football or some other sport, uh, regardless of how, uh, how good you were or how high you made it. Uh, this job that I've been doing now five years, if, you know, six years ago, this wasn't on the radar. So, uh, but I find myself doing it and had a fairly big church. And so we have sort of this, you know, regular, um, you know, regular rhythm of walking with people through very difficult things, you know, whether it be deaths or, uh, or illnesses, um, tragedies, and you get a constant reminder that there are uh, lots of things far more important than, um, you know, even what you did as a job. It's a, it's a window into people's lives, um, their marriages, uh, bringing up kids, um, you know, mental health issues. That just uh, is a, has been very a tonic for me in regards to um, remembering what is important in life. And I think, you know, again, that's something even when we were playing that we would attest to, uh, but, um, you know, living it out and seeing it, you know, has been great. So, you know, I, I, it's a distinct privilege. I, I asked my mentor, uh, the, the pastor who pastored here at Westland Alliance for 31 years before me, uh, I asked him about, you know, what do you do when you get that call that, you know, someone's died in a car accident or, you know, someone has cancer or a child has a, you know, illness. And, you know, he encouraged me and, and gave me some advice. But the thing I remember most is he said, now that I'm, I'm finished, he said, those are the things I value most. That in those times, uh, I walked through those things with those people. And it was just, a, again, an eye-opener into you know, what's, what's important in life and, and things that, that matter significantly. And I think that's a real ballast to some of the uh, maybe uh, warped ways of thinking that, you know, people who, who make a life of sports develop and, and sort of maybe some of those uh, things we pick up by being at the center of attention and always being in front of other people. Uh, it's, it's sort of a welcome balance to that. And, and I've really enjoyed it. It's been a learning thing and it's been tough at times, but uh, I definitely feel uh, good about where God has me and what he has me doing. Do you, do you feel you've found your purpose in life? You know, I, I, I do think this is, you know, in the, in the 
the church, we call it a calling. And um, it's often referred to for people who sort of go into ministry. But I think uh, it's true for all people that, that they can approach what they do, whatever it is, uh, as if they've been called to do it. And I do have a, a strong sense that uh, I am fulfilling what, what God has for me. And uh, there is, uh, there's de- definitely a, a sense of peace that comes with that. Now, there's lots of stresses and, and lots of difficulties. Uh, it's, uh, you know, some weeks are tough and uh, I'm, I don't have a ton of experience. I'm learning as I go in a lot of cases, but there is that underlying definitely that underlying sense of, you know, sort of doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, uh, you know, certainly in light of, of, you know, all the things we've talked about um, in terms of retiring, I think that's a, that's a great help. You know, one of the things I uh, have been thinking about actually this week, because I had a chance to speak earlier this week to a group of, of seniors in Woodstock is, you know, we, we talk to people and, and tell them to, um, to do what they love. And, to be honest, I actually think we've got that uh, the wrong way around. You know, I think what we should tell people is to love what they do. Um, what you do, and it, it could be the most menial job in the world, uh, and it maybe isn't what you thought you were going to be doing, uh, but you can make a decision, decision to, to take it seriously and to do it with, with honor and to do it to the best of your ability, and I think uh, can find great satisfaction in doing that. Mm-hmm. Something so fulfilling uh, about doing something very well mm-hmm. as well. And what would you now, you know, you're in a different place in your life. What is your greatest fear now? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think what would weigh on my heart uh, the most uh, would would be my, my children, you know, um, I can, I can, Nicole and I, I think we can, could handle, you know, anything that sort of happened to us and we would work through that. But uh, as we think about our children and the lives that are are ahead of them, uh, I think that's where I'm most tempted perhaps to, to be fearful uh, or to worry. And so, you know, it's interesting that that lesson I learned personally from my own life and in regards to my faith uh, I'm, I'm relearning from my kids. You know, I have to, I have to trust uh, and have faith that uh, God's going to take care of them as well. And so uh, I would say that would be what, what weighs on me the most these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. Obviously with having five kids for our blended family as well, the, that's probably n- nightmare number one. The thought of something happening to them is just, yep. Yeah, and until you're a parent, it's really <laughs> again. You mentioned yeah. it earlier, Kari. That yeah, until someone has yeah. kids, it's just something you can't, you can't understand. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you have do you have a, a an idea of what you want your legacy to be? Is it your kids that are your legacy? What does that look like for you? You know, uh, one of the things, sort of philosophically, with my new. Uh, job here in this vocation that I have as being a pastor at a church that uh, I think really has become a um, really a life aim or a life goal that I would have uh, would be to be found faithful. Uh, I think we often look for uh, and want people to see us as as fruitful, as productive, as having made lots of money and accomplished great things. Um, 
but as I think about it in, in, uh, in regards to my work at the church, but, but in life in general, uh, I want to be found faithful. Uh, I want to be found a faithful husband, a faithful father, a faithful friend, uh, that I have, uh, you know, sort of done the things that I've been called to do and, and done them well. Um, certainly uh, having uh, the kids coming along and, and, and seeing the, uh, the impact of, of being part of a family and, and, and them growing into adults now and moving on in life pretty quickly here. You, you see the, the legacy that you have, you know, from that perspective. But uh, I'm okay with, uh, you know, not doing uh, great things per se uh, in the eyes of the world and not getting recognition for them and, and, and never being on TV again. But uh, I think when it comes down to it, I want to be found faithful in terms of, you know, what I've been given and, and what God has uh, made me a steward over that uh, when, whenever my last breath comes, uh, I hope it can be said of me that, you know, I was faithful. That's fantastic. That's beautiful. Uh, um, how, um, uh, there's going to be a few little questions here I want to finish up with but mm -hmm. um before that this is just is there something about you that um most people don't know something unique something quirky is there something interesting about you that you'd want people to know that most people wouldn't know about you oh uh, that's a that's a great question um well here's a little thing you know people might get a kick out of uh, you know, as as big and as strong as I was, and I think even by standards now, I'd still be considered a, a fairly big and strong guy and uh, did work that was, I guess, considered manly and, you know, physical and the rest of it. Um, I get petrified with horror movies. <laughs> and I literally am the guy who, if... On the rare occasion, uh, someone talks me into wa watching a, even some thrillers are too much for me. I'm the guy who will, you know, put my, literally put my hand over my eye <laughs> and, uh, and peek through the cracks between my fingers because I can't. Uh, give you a good romantic comedy or a good yeah, Disney no, movie. I'm, give me the action and the explosions. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, anyway, so there's, there's something funny about me so, that most people wouldn't know. What what's the scariest movie you've seen then? Oh, you know I or I seen through the cracks of your hands. The The Ring uh, <laughs> was that's one that I've watched. That I haven't watched boring. many, but that one scared the. And yeah. I don't even know how much of it I watched because I just couldn't take it. But um, I've tried uh, a couple times since then. Like no one in my family gets rattled the way I do. Um, you know, so they <laughs> asked me, and I just I pretty much don't participate, but. I just remember uh, the ring as, as I don't even know why I watched it. Yeah. My my problem isn't watching it; it's after I I, I watch it and I, and I, I admit scared. I'm scared. I am scared. Yeah, it's what my mind does to me that night when the house is quiet or I yeah. go out in the dark backyard. That that's when I'm in trouble. So yeah. I I've know got, not to watch those I'm movies because of that. I'm gonna prank you guys so hard. Oh. It's Halloween. I can prank you guys so well. I am so susceptible to that. There's no question. Oh, that's great. Um, do you do you still work out, Jude? Uh, I do. I, uh, I get out, try to get out uh, three times a week and lift a bit of weights and get on a treadmill. 
uh, play hockey once a week. Um, I'm much more likely, you know, I just sort of came off a three week, didn't get into the gym. Uh, it's a lot easier to, to take excuses and, and, and not go into the gym now, but have tried to uh, sort of maintain things. I remember, I remember actually bending over uh, and to pull a bag of, of topsoil out of my trunk. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had to brace myself and I had to, <laughs> and I, like, I used to throw those things around like they were pillows. Yeah. And I thought yeah. I gotta, I gotta at least be, uh, be able to, you know, do Keep some going. household chores or something without <laughs> grunting yeah. and groaning. So, um, I could probably, well, not, I could probably, I could definitely do better than I am now, but, uh, trying to, to do some anyways. Um, what's a, uh, what's a really small thing or action that has had a really big impact on your sport or life or relationships? What's the little thing that you could give people advice on that really has big impact? Uh, never stop learning. Um, you know, I, somehow I, that connected with me when I was, um, playing football and I think it got me over the hump when physically I started to be not as good as the guys trying to, trying to take my job. But because I was willing to continually learn, uh, I think I was able to sort of stay ahead of them uh, and pick up new techniques. And, and maybe I couldn't just use brute force anymore, but because I was willing to learn, um, uh, I, could, I could learn a different technique that would help me in different situations. And and then, you know, transitioning uh, first to teaching and now to pastoring, I think sort of the willingness to be a lifelong learner uh, and I, w- was, a, was instrumental in that. And uh, I think that would be something for, for everyone uh, just to take that posture in life uh, that I'm going to keep learning and, uh, and see what I can do. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic advice. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, I'm going to hit you with a few, uh, fast questions before we wrap up. Do okay. you have a favorite food? Besides... Uh, sushi and steak. Oh, I thought you were going to say poutine. Well, okay. No, that's, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I've, I've never said no to poutine. So, <laughs> but you know, I think those other two, uh, poutine's more affordable, I guess. I know I can go and get that almost any time, but going out for a nice steak dinner or going out for a nice sushi dinner. Special. Yeah. Yeah. And favorite movie. Oh, gladiator, um, open range, tombstone, braveheart. How about that? Nice, yeah. nice. And then Tombstone, uh, that's a classic. Yeah. Love do you it. have a <laughs> Do you have a favorite book? Uh, you know, I uh I would say The Lord of the Rings, that trilogy, uh I've read numerous times, uh, love it, and um from my English teaching, uh Macbeth. Uh I enjoy the I enjoy Shakespeare plays and uh, I think Macbeth's my favorite. Is that Excellent. the Three Witches? Yes, it is. Oh, you guys, here we go. (laughs) And do you have a favorite hobby? You know, I I still love uh, doing outdoor stuff. Uh, So I like to fish, I like to hunt, and um, don't get to do it uh, as much as I used to, but uh, still love getting in the outdoors and doing those things. Mm -hmm. And do you have any specific tips to young upcomers in, in football? Any young guys that are just 
looking like they might have some potential and they're looking to make the next step? Any tips for them? You know, one of these things, and, and I think kids always think that someone put me up to this, uh, but the thing that will stop most football players uh, in their career is uh, doing poorly educationally. Mm. Um, with football more than any other sport really these days, uh, if you want to have any hopes of playing professional football, you have to go to college or university. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I saw in coaching high school football was how many uh, good football players who had an opportunity to play four more years of football uh, but couldn't because they didn't get the grades they needed. You know, one of the things yeah. about football, uh, there's no there's no over 40 men's league for football. Yeah. Uh, when you're done playing football, you're done playing for life. Yeah. And so uh, I tell young athletes this all the time, you know, do what you have to do educationally so that that's not what stops you. You know, if, if it turns out that you can't play at that next level and you gave it all you have, that's great. But if it's because you were skipping class and you don't get an opportunity to pursue that, I think that's a, you know, that's a shame. So that would be, you know, one of my main things. And uh, I'm a, I'm a big proponent. Uh, the other thing when I get this, ask this question is um, play as many different sports as you can. Um, it drives me crazy how focused and single sport uh, specialized specialized yeah. that that kids get with sports these days and i think ultimately it's to their detriment and so uh, yep. try different sports and uh, enjoy them and uh, uh, don't get burnt out playing one uh, when you're you know 12 years old uh, learn a bunch of different skills and i think you'll be able to adapt and use them whatever you end up doing yeah, very, very true. Now, to to finish up, um, how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? And is there a, a cause or charity? I think you had mentioned one um, yeah. that you would like to mention. Yeah, so, um, you know, you could uh, – you can still – I haven't fallen out of uh, people's minds enough so that you could still Google my name and – uh, either find me on Twitter or uh, find our website here at the church, which is WLAchurch.org. Uh, and that would certainly be a great way uh, for to get in contact with me if you wanted to for any reason. Uh, one of the, the charities that I'm involved with and have been since I was 13 years old is Compassion Canada. And they're a group uh, which helps uh, sponsors, uh, sponsor children in uh, primarily third world countries and um We've got, uh, I think currently we have four or five sponsored children uh, that our family sponsors, but I've been doing that since I was 13 years old and had the opportunity last year to go and visit a project in Ecuador and see the wonderful things they're doing in terms of providing the basic necessities of life for these families, but also in education and other opportunities. And so uh, uh, Compassion Canada, their, their head offices are right here in London and they're a great charity. And if uh, you're interested in that, take a look at them. That's amazing. Well, I, I can't tell you how thankful we are to have you on. I really, really think that your story will make a difference for other people. And, and uh, so we really want to get it out there. So thank you so much, Jude, for coming on. And um, we're really, really grateful to have you. 
Well, it's uh, it's been great to be here, and uh, it's been a pleasure over the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years to get to, to know you guys and uh, to have connected with you through hockey and uh, appreciate what you're doing. And, hey, I got to do uh, an interview today because I played football at one time, so uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about things. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, Thank no problem. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. To get more support in living your best life, find us in our free Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. We're on Instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection.